Yes, it's me, Mark Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. Right, I would like to welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show a young chap called Harry Pearl, who's CEO of Roadmender, whose tagline is, We Recycle Roads. Now, it's something I've always said, it doesn't matter whether you're on two wheels, three wheels, four wheels, or all the way up to 18 wheels. The state of the British roads at the moment is none too dissimilar to the, the, the lunar surface. So, Harry Pearl, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, what exactly is Roadmender? Well, Roadmender is our company, and the product that we have recently developed for pothole patching is called Elastomac. Yeah. Um, so if you want me to give you a quick overview on what... I was going to say, you, it's elastic tarmac from the sounds of it. Correct. <laughs> Got it in one. So how exactly does this work? Because, I mean, the one problem is a road repair is, as a rule, the council will either close the road or put the temporary lights up and there's great gangs come in and they plane the surfaces off. And uh, every, and it's a really long-winded process. And at times, you see what happens. And when you see what they've repaired, you think, all that for that. And we all know full well it'll lift in three months. Yes, um... <laughs> Well, I mean, there's two ways of fixing potholes or roads. You've either got pothole patching, which is small two-man teams that go around filling in potholes and repairing potholes, or you've got larger sort of five or six-man, what we call patch planing teams, that come in with slightly more illustrious equipment that actually planes off the road and resurfaces sort of areas of maybe, I don't know, 100 to 250 square metres a day. Um, the Elastomac product that we have is more focused on the sort of small to medium-sized end of the market. So the guys that are doing potholes or the guys that are doing up to, let's say, 150 square metres a day. Um, and, you know, if you look at the way that potholes are, are dealt with, there's various limitations in the way that the process is carried out. The first big problem is typically it, it probably takes an hour and a half to up to three hours for a pothole team to drive to wherever the local asphalt plant is, queue up and get loaded with tarmac or asphalt, whatever you want to call it, before they can go out and stick their first shovel in the ground and start patching potholes. Yeah. So historically, that's never really been an issue for them on the basis that asphalt is one of the fastest depreciating assets in the world. Oh. Um, other than ice cream. So, or unfrozen ice cream, where you know, when you go to an asphalt plant and collect a ton and a half of asphalt, realistically, you've only got four hours in the winter and five hours in the summer before it transforms from being a, a hundred pound a ton asset into basically a waste stream. <laughs> um, so the fact that they waste two or three hours in the morning driving to and queuing up to collect asphalt isn't necessarily something they've been particularly bothered by because technically they've only got four to five hours to get it in the ground anyway so wasting two to three hours in the morning hasn't been an issue for them yeah um so that's the first major problem with with patching piles the second major problem with patching piles as i see it is it's extremely wasteful in that typically a pothole that if you were going to fill it full of, of water might require, or, or bitumen, let's say, uh, 20 to 25 kilograms. But in order to fix potholes, what we've always done is filled them with aggregate 
that's bound together with a small amount of glue that locks it in place. Yeah. And in order to get aggregate to stick into a pothole, you have to basically cut a big square patch around the pothole and excavate everything so that it's got square edges. Right. So, so typically, if you've got a, a small pothole, the smallest excavation you're going to make would be one square meter. And one square meter at 50 millimeters deep would require 125 kilograms of material to fill it. Right. Well, you know, if you think about it, that that's heavier than, you know, I mean, it's heavier than Tyson Fury. Yeah. <laughs> For one pothole. Yeah. What we believe is, is a, a more elegant solution is rather than using aggregate to fill potholes with a little bit of glue, we've developed a, a glue, if you will, with a little bit of aggregate where we take old truck tires, we grind them down into a powder and we blend that powder together with old road planings that have been crushed and screened. Yeah. And we melt it down into a sort of bulletproof glue that we call Elastomac. The reason we call it Elastomac is it was actually come up with by my 10-year-old son, is tires are elastomer or elastomeric. Yeah. So because it's got about seven tires recycled into every ton, we call it Elastomac. And it's basically black, sticky, bulletproof glue. Now, what's clever about this, or what we believe is clever about it, is rather than digging out 125 kilograms of material to fix a one square meter hole, because it's a liquid-based material rather than an aggregate-based material, you don't need to cut out the hole. You don't need to remove 125 kilograms of material. You literally pour... 25 to 30 kilograms of bulletproof glue into the hole itself at 185 degrees. And because it's a, a glue-based material rather than an aggregate-based material, it's just got a bit of aggregate to support it, the glue itself will adhere to the existing road surface, will weld itself together with the existing road. And as a result, you're able to use 80% less material than if you were going to cut that thing out where you're going to have dust everywhere, which is causing issues. You're going to have to jackhammer it out with a with a jackhammer, and then you're going to have to excavate the hole. Um, with this, it's so much quicker. You literally pour hot, sticky, rubber-modified, recycled glue into the pothole. You're using 85% or 80% less material. And by default, if you're using 80% less material, the guys that are carrying out the work can carry out five times more potholes in a day. And I conclude this stuff is... Say say they've taken a little bit more than they require. I conclude it's reusable. You can you can heat it up and do whatever for the following day and carry on with it. You're absolutely correct. So there's zero waste. It's it's uh, it's a pay as you go system. Um, but you also haven't got all the waste that you're having to excavate out of the ground and throw away on the basis that everything that's surrounding a pothole is valuable aggregate and bitumen or glue that's already been paid for by the council that can technically be welded into to create a structural repair. Now, there's two other factors that, that, that carry on from this argument. So we've, we've eliminated one and a half to three hours of wasted time on the basis that with this elastomat material, you basically heat it yourself in a small mobile kettle yeah. that's on the back of a truck or a trailer. So immediately, you've now got, you know, if asphalt has a five-hour window before it goes cold and you can't use it you've now got 40 percent more time on the tools to be carrying out valuable pothole repairs with your time right um which never used to be an issue but but you know if, if 
you had a material that would allow you to go all day, it becomes very valuable to get an extra 40% in your day. Um, the other thing about traditional pothole repairs is, you know, you're going to be able to do 500% more repairs in a day. But the other thing you want, if, you know, if cyclists want, you know, better roads with potholes that are going to sort of, la- is, is them to last longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that, you know, so, so the two shortcomings are, we're not filling enough holes, and the holes that we are filling aren't lasting long enough. Yeah. Now, because just putting in, I mean, there's many a road that you think at last they've repaired this, and then the heavy rain we had, winter just gone, um, lifted all the repairs and lifted quite a bit more. So there's one road I do use, which is a little B road, which uh, I drive down it in a four wheel drive, and I recommend that that's the only vehicle you would actually now consider driving down it in as a four wheel drive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, asphalt itself is a wonderful material you could get you can get potholes that will last 20 years if they're done correctly yeah the problem is um if you don't lay it at the correct temperature or you don't lay it properly uh it's not you know if you square cut a pothole fill it with asphalt and then compact the aggregate with a whacker plate or a roller of vibratory compaction if you don't compact it properly the water's going to get in yeah and even if you try to compact it properly, if you're at the end of the day, where let's say it's in winter, you've had it on, on, on the back of a truck under a sheet for four hours, and you're now in your fifth hour, if the material's gone down below 100 degrees, even if you compact it properly, it's not going to compact properly, and the edges are going to fail very quickly, where the water is going to penetrate into the pothole, and the minute you get any sort of freeze-thaw activity, it's going to expand, it's going to contract, and it's going to break open the patch. So... This is, this is the other major point, is in, in addition to wanting to be more efficient at doing four or five times more patches per day, you want to be doing it in a fashion where you waterproof the hole. Yeah. Now, the beauty about filling holes with heavily rubber-modified liquid glue, if you will, that's fortified with a little bit of aggregate, is not only do you fill the pothole, but you can screed over the top of the edges so that there is no vertical edge to the pothole on the basis that you can actually paint this durable bulletproof glue well beyond the edges of the hole itself so that it is completely impermeable, there are no voids in the material, and there are no edges through which the water can penetrate. So the ingress of water cannot take place, so you end up getting repairs that last significantly longer. And that's another massive um, sort of step in the right direction, where if you're using flowable, enhanced new age materials, you're, you're going to be able to create voidless waterproof repairs that don't have any edges. Right. Now, just out of interest, when when this is actually poured into the hole, I conclude they'll clean the pot all out. They'll make it clean. They'll give it a quick brush out. And um, dry. And dry. Do they blast it with, a, with an airlock. All right. Do they then actually roll it flat, or is it self-leveling? It's all self-leveling. All right. Completely self-leveling. So it's literally like a liquid. Yeah. And there's no voids in it because it's liquid. Your know, normal normal asphalt has between six and twelve percent air voids in it. Yeah. Because it's got aggregate you're trying to squeeze together with vibration as well as well as you can. Uh, with a liquid material or a liquid thermoplastic material like elastomac, there are zero voids. Right. And how long does does the does this stuff last? Pretty much the same as asphalt. The only difference is so yeah, my belief is that asphalt is a great material. It yeah. lasts a long time if it's laid correctly. Yeah. You know, I think you know, there's asphalt patches that have lasted 30, 40 years. 
Um, what this does is it lasts the same amount of time as, as, as asphalt. However, it avoids the potential for premature failure resulting from potentially, say, laying asphalt at a temperature which is below what it should be at yeah. or maybe not compacting it properly. So some old contractors might go out there with a small lightweight whacker plate uh, and they might need something slightly more substantial in terms of rollers and larger rollers to get the job done. Yeah. So if they don't get proper compaction or they're not laying the asphalt at the correct temperature, potentially there is the potential for the pothole to prematurely fail down to bad compaction or poor compaction yeah. or poor temperature. Right. But if you're cooking it yourself in a kettle on the side of the road where you've eliminated all the wasted time, you know the material's always at the correct temperature. Yeah. And it's a liquid material, so you don't have to worry about compaction because it's completely self-leveling anyway. Right. Right. I mean, from the sun, I mean, who thought this idea up in the first place? Well, it's been a bit of a sort of team effort here. Um, I mean... <laughs> for what a better question, why, why has nobody thought... To be honest with you... Why has nobody thought of that before? <laughs> it's been a bit of a copy of what's going on in America, yeah. if, I, if I'm honest. Uh, I'd, I'd like to be honest, always. Um, I'd spent a lot of time researching things on, on YouTube. Yeah. And there are some guys in America who started using liquid thermoplastic sustainable reinstatement materials a few years ago. Yeah. It started taking off over there. And so more and more videos started surfacing um, on YouTube. And we were making something that was sort of halfway between the liquid thermoplastics and an asphalt, which is a, a traditional mastic asphalt which is semi-flowable. Yeah. You have to sort of push it in with a float around manholes and gullies. Yeah. So we developed a product um, that we call Black Gold that we recently sold to one of the big boys that they now call Enviromastic. Yeah. A big, big company in Tamworth called uh, Instamac. So they now market that product and we decided to carry on sort of developing new products and they gave us a lot of money actually to, to help us carry on. So we're, we're almost like a technology company now where if you look at the big drug companies, 65% of, of the drugs that, that people take in hospitals or whatever uh, are, are in licensed or acquired from small businesses or universities. Yeah. Um, but when they get to a certain point, they say, well, you guys have got much bigger distribution and sales than we've got. So we'll license it out to you and you can do the, you know, the marketing and the sales and distribution. So we've done that with our first product, um, but with this one, we're, we're so sort of in love with it and developing it that you know, we haven't sort of chosen to, to out-license it yet. We're just sort of, you know, we'd, we'd like to ride it a bit further because we're all so passionate about it. We don't want to lose control of it. I mean, you were saying about YouTube. One thing I saw, it's a, two or three years ago now, funny enough, that was an American company. They were recycling uh, plastic bottles and yep. they were they were using those, and I, th I, th I remember watching the YouTube video, and they said it works up to a certain size of pothole. So, but from the sounds of it, yours works on any size of pothole. Absolutely, you could lay a whole road with it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a bit like a lot of people have these fancy concrete pattern driveways laid and things like that. Is it something that could be used for that? People will think, well, I'd like a tarmac driveway, but there's all the problems that go with the tarmac driveways. Is it possible to, say, use it for something like that? I would say it technically, yes. 
commercially speaking, I think it would be too expensive. I think the beauty of this material is it's a significantly stronger, more elegant material than traditional tarmac. Yeah. But as a result, it wants to be used sparingly. <laughs> so in other words, when I say if I went up to a pothole that only needs 25 kilograms, yeah. instead of cutting it out, putting 125 kilograms in the ground, the reason is that the material is more expensive to produce. Yeah. And as a result, needs to be used sparingly. Now, if you look at the, the cost, if you use it sparingly, we're probably less than half the price of traditional pothole patching. Right. But a lot of that is because of the speed that we can put it in the ground and the eliminated waste. So if we're head-to-head with tarmac, this material is probably five to five and a half times more expensive. Right. But on the basis that you're using 80% less material, we're basically at parity. Yeah. Uh, but if we can do five times more potholes, that means that we end up being 50% less expensive on the basis that we're saving a lot of time where if a normal team can go out and do nine to 12 potholes a day and our teams can go out there and do 40 to 55 potholes a day, yeah. um, then that's how we end up driving down the cost is that we're amortizing the cost of 40 to 50 defects over that one gang rather than nine to 12 defects. Right. I mean, the other interesting thing is, like you were saying, you use recycled tyres, which is quite yep. interesting. Uh, one of the companies I'm involved with is Harrison's Tyres, who are a Clitheroe-based company who, as the name implies, supply tyres from across the range, from bicycles to cars to tractors yep. to vans and everything else. And at the moment, they're uh, doing a fine job of uh, keeping NHS workers and uh, the agricultural industry rolling on the correct rubber. But yeah. they were saying they're having to charge people more to dispose of the tyres because a lot of the used tyres are ending up, I think they're ending up in India or somewhere like that. So you're now actually coming up with a way of, for want of a better term, keeping used tyres in England and finding something else to do with them. The problem with used tyres is in the wrong hands, they can be very dangerous. Yeah. In other words... An Indian or a Chinese criminal will melt down, they won't melt, they'll burn tires into agricultural diesel. Yeah. And they will give everybody, you know, horrendous fumes that will do, will do no end of damage to their, to their health. Yeah. So rubber is an unbelievable modifier. In fact, the state of California mandated the use of rubber in all asphalt five years ago. Right. They're, the green, they're the greenest state we know of in the world. Yeah. So in California, anybody that lays any form of asphalt in California has to have rubber in it. Right. So, so if rubber is used correctly, where it's not heated above 200 degrees, you're basically melting the rubber. It's not giving off any different emissions to traditional asphalt. Yeah. If, however, you burn the hell out of it, like into a liquid almost, uh, it's highly dangerous and highly valuable to criminals. Right. Uh, so what happened was we were, as a country, sending tires, I believe, to dangerous places like Vietnam, China, India, wherever, I don't know, um, that were doing dangerous things with tires that, that we're trying to have avoided at all costs. Um, and saving a fortune because obviously buying, you know, melting down tires and burning them into some sort of a liquid diesel is a hell of a lot cheaper than buying diesel. Yeah. But it's also <laughs> bloody dangerous. Yes. Yeah. So... What we've got to do is make sure that these tyres are not falling into the wrong hands. Yeah. Um, but there's only 
so many things we can do with these tires at the moment the only thing that we can use tires for in this country other than a you know playgrounds and stuff is as a as a, a fuel substitute to um coal in cement kilns yeah and the reason why that is not as dangerous is because they've got very very sophisticated filtration cartridges built into these plants that are designed to try to eliminate the carcinogenic nasties that would come off from heating these things up to you know very high temperatures yeah uh, but it's still hugely pollutive um so yeah it's not a good thing but you know they're, they're at least able to filter out all of the the nasties if you will yeah um so you know what, what we want to do is try to create a more circular economy where you know tires can can go back into the road and, and make roads that, that last longer yeah. and are, are more sustainable and more flexible. Um, you know, I mean, the, the statistical performance of tyre-modified or rubber-modified roads is unbelievably better than anything we've ever seen before, which is why the Californians are so crazy about it. Yeah. Um, but it is something of a sophisticated process in that the tyres have to be sheared, so they have to be ground down into powder and then they have to be sheared into the bitumen at 180 degrees, yeah. so that the the rubber is fully absorbed into the bitumen as one homogeneous liquid, if you will. Right. So you know, it's, it's not an easy process. In America, there's thousands of blending units all over the place. People know how to operate them. What we did is we said, well, you know, rather than having to have thousands of these three hundred thousand dollar expensive pieces of equipment, is we developed a patent where we take the rubber, we blend it into the bitumen using the American process that was patented that's now off-patent, the McDonald's wet patent, yeah. and we pelletize it. So we basically convert that rubber waste-modified bitumen into a dry, storage-stable, granular pellet form yeah. that can be moved around, um, and you, know, you can put it in a bag and leave it in the corner for 20 years if you want to. Right. Right. Then the minute you throw it into aggregate and heat it up, there you go, you've got bulletproof road repair material. So it might not be funny around about where similar analogies like a bag of a bag of rice or a bag of dried pasta. Once it's supplied with the appropriate liquid and heated up, it turns into what you want it to. A hundred percent. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so who's actually producing this rubber? Is it being produced in the UK? So we buy the granulated rubber. Um, for example, I mean, there, there was a big recycling group that went out of business uh, called Hargreaves up in the sort of Sheffield area about two years ago. And we basically just went in and bought all of their rubber. And they had a lot of it. Um, and right now, all we do is we go around any tyre recycling businesses buying their crumb rubber. Yeah. And basically blending it with bitumen and various other goodies and converting it into pellets. Right. And then we use those pellets, and we blend the pellets with old roads. So we, whenever someone's resurfacing a motorway, we'll buy in those road platings, grind <laughs> them up. We, we, we buy in the waste, we grind it down into a powder, yeah. and then we blend that powder with the pellets, put it in bags, and quality control the whole system so it can be CE marked. And then that's what that's what we send out to our customers. Right, because it's one of those things you do. You see roads being dug up to be repaired, and it never really dawns on you what might be happening to the tarmac they've dug up. You just look at it and think it'll be dumped somewhere. It used to be. Um, asphalt plants can now put about ten percent. So 
For new surface course, you can get about 10% of that can be made from old road planings. And for the base course that goes underneath it, typically about 30% can go into that. Right. Um, funnily enough, an interesting stat for you, asphalt as a commodity by weight is the most heavily recycled product in the world. Oh. There are more tons of asphalt recycled than any other commodity on the planet. Right. <laughs> So, just out of interest, the major asphalt uh, manufacturers, what's, what's been their reaction to all this? Or are you able to buy some of their, shall we say, waste asphalt off them? When they've, like at the, day, at the end of a day's production run, there'll be some waste knocking about. Are you able to recycle that as well? They'll, they recycle it themselves. Right. It's quite a valuable commodity to them, that. Um, I mean, our... Founding chairman was the chief executive of Aggregate Industries, which is the second largest asphalt company in England. Yeah. Um, so we're very friendly with the asphalt companies. Um, typically, the, the paving industry in the UK is around 22 to 25 million tonnes of asphalt a year. Yeah. Um, the patching market for both potholes and utilities is only about 10% of that. Right. So, yeah, two to two and a half million tonnes a year. So whatever we're doing is is really seen as a bit of a you know a distraction to the big boys. And the big quarry boys they're they're far more interested in in paving roads and laying roads yeah. than messing around filling potholes and <laughs> and So they don't really sort of see us as as much of a threat on the basis that in terms of the the tonnages that we're getting through to fill in fiddly little holes it's really not something that's that much for distraction to them they're, they're more interested in having 20 30 massive trucks come in and fill up with hundreds of tons of asphalt and go resurface roads right now from the sounds of it what you're saying like there's a, a decreased slightly decreased manpower and everything else i conclude that besides the councils doing it this is something that potentially small companies could set up and hire themselves out as pothole repairers once they bought the appropriate bits and yes. pieces. Provided they go and get the correct NERSRA certification yeah. uh, that would show that they are um, qualified to go out there and work on the road. Because obviously, you know, roads, you know, mums and dads drive on roads and they've got to be they've got to be safe. Yeah. So anyone that's working on the road, whether they're doing potholes or resurfacing or utilities or other, has to go through some relatively strict sort of qualifications in terms of new new roads and streetways act yeah so to prove that they're competent to work on the road um yeah because you know people die on roads but yes technically small businesses could definitely go out there and get into this provided they're prepared to go out there and and gain the the necessary qualifications to carry out these types of work right and now one thing i must ask you i was looking at the website your website is road uh, road .com. what exactly is an infrared repair because if any if anybody listening goes and looks at that website it is one yep. of the things on your site an infrared repair and i thought i really must ask harry what an infrared repairer is it's a it's a good question it's a it's another american invention that is effectively enabling people to recycle small stretches of road. What you do is you place, it is, it's effectively like a glorified toaster. <laughs> um, you, you place it over a, a defective area of road, which is failing. 
whether yeah. it's a crack or a joint or a pothole or it's just sort of you know alligator cracking or whatever yeah and an infrared will pulse heat into the tarmac gradually where it pulses in and out and stops pulses and stops and it's bloody clever it's <laughs> able to melt the tarmac to about 50 millimeters in depth yeah the extent that you can actually scarify the old material just with a rake. Yeah. You can pour fresh oils into the old tarmac, use that old tarmac surrounding the defect as a base layer, and then you apply a thin layer of fresh asphalt over the top before you can pack the repair. Right. And you know, what, what, what people were excited about, I mean, it's been around for 35 years, infrared. The reason why people got excited about infrared is because it, it creates what's called seamless repairs. Yeah. Where when you roll an infrared repair, you, you leave, so when you cut into it, you leave a small stretch of warm material around the outside. So that when you roll the repair, you can effectively weld the new repair with the existing road to create a jointless or a seamless repair around the patch, right. which is waterproof. Um, so... You know, as we were talking about earlier, waterproof is definitely a good thing. Yes. Um, the only difference between that and what we're doing with a, a liquid thermoplastic is there's a lot more kit and a lot more time involved in carrying out infrared repairs. Um, in China and America, and I mean, to a certain extent here on the A1 and the M1, there are larger derivatives of our smaller infrared heaters where you can actually do what's called hot in-place recycling, where you can basically melt the whole road, scarify it, rejuvenate it, compact it, and apply fresh tarmac over the top of it. Right. Without ever having to remove anything, where you're using probably 70% less material than you would be by digging it up and resurfacing it. Right. So it's quite an interesting technology that we're quite a big fan of. I mean, road surfaces, I mean, over the years, you just look upon them as it's a nice new road surface, it's nice and smooth, uh, or it's an old one, or else there's the other favourite one, as you'll know yourself, as you drive down the road and all of a sudden the uh, front left suspension strut comes up through the bonnet, you look and think, oh yes, that's where they repaired the road the other day. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I mean, from the sounds of it, how many councils are starting to adopt this system or how many road repair companies are starting to adopt these systems well we're literally just going through the final phases of the sort of regulatory certification process on this new thermoplastic product elastomac um so we've been doing some original sort of early stage trials with so i mean the councils have got you know i'm, I'm a big fan of the fact that the council actually started creating their own sort of collaborative bodies yeah. that can review innovations and then share best practice amongst themselves. Yeah. So there's a group called the Local Council Roads Innovation Group, LCRIG, it's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> um, and they, they've been around now for about the last six months to a year, and they're gaining a lot of traction where more and more and more council highways officers or councils themselves are joining up to Elkrig yeah. to sort of effectively become members of a uh, an information sharing syndicate on innovations where Elkrig sort of goes out there and, and tries new stuff and then on the back or based on the back of how it's gone they share the the knowledge 
across all the councils that are their members. Right. And then also do it publicly as well. So we started working with Elkrig, um, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, Will Britton's the sort of boss man there that's sort of, you know, running that show. Uh, you've also got a thing called the Joint Authorities Group, or JAG, um, where someone else there called David Capon, who's also sort of head of the innovations for the, you know, the specification for highway works for the utility companies, yeah. uh, also um, sort of informally shares best practice amongst councils. So what what we've started doing is we're, we're sort of, we're, we're going through these new, but you know, I, I, I sort of mentioned this to the guys the other day that, you know, I think, Having gone through you know, 12 years of austerity, I think it is, where councils have had their budgets slashed more and more and more, they've had to become more and more sophisticated at recognising the only way, if they've got less money, they recognise the only way to get out of this problem and keep the roads safe is to embrace innovation and, and try to encourage innovation and support it. And I, I actually think they're starting to do a good job where you know, it's not a difficult thing to reach out to Elkrig uh, and get their support to go out there and show them something new. They're more than happy to look at it. They're more than happy to give you a chance to put it on their roads. And if it performs well, they're more than happy to recommend it across all the councils. I mean, the thing is, with what's happening at the moment, uh, with people not working or either out of work, uh, this is something that, in my opinion, the councils should embrace because they will have less money to spend. So with the... <laughs> With the Elastomac, etc., it's got to be a cost-saving exercise. Because, as you said, in the first instance, it's probably not. But with the amount of repairs you can carry out, etc., etc., it's got to be, from the sounds of it, the most cost-effective way. Because there are more and more potholes all over the place. Yeah, I mean, we reckon that based on the trials we've been doing uh, through Elkrig, it's costing about twenty pounds a, a square meter. Yeah, and we reckon that normal patching is probably costing between fifty-five and seventy-five. Right. So to coin the so phrase, it's, it's a no-brainer in many ways. It's employ your uh, elastomac. We would say so, yes, and it, it certainly seems to be to be proving that way. Um, so yeah, I think. I mean, you know, when, when I said we've been through twelve years of austerity, um, the the chancellor, thank God came out with the budget recently about a month ago and has announced a 500% increase in funding for potholes this year. Right. So, I mean, I mean, ultimately, that's the other thing. The number of councils who are paying out, uh, shall we say, settling out of court for oh, drivers no, no. who are shattered alloys and everything else. I mean... Well, it's millions. It's millions. millions. So, once again, that is your equipment purchased very much. And, you know, my wife is a mad keen cyclist and environmentalist. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with the with the lockdown and everything else, it's amazing how many sort of traditional gym bunnies are now turning to cycling as a, as a new re recreational sport rather than just to sort of get from A to B. Yeah. You've got millions of new cyclists emerging that are becoming addicted to cycling, but, you know, Cycling can be bloody dangerous if the roads aren't kept in good shape. The one I overtook the other day, I think the only dangerous thing was the actual, the guy was actually on a bicycle. He looked like he'd never seen one in his life. I thought, no, there's a heart attack. There's a lot of them. There's there. a heart attack coming on there, sunshine. Behave. Right. Get off it and yeah, walk home. <laughs> I mean, I've heard that Halfords have seen a, a tremendous increase in sales over the last month. 
Yeah. Because anyone that's used to going to the gym that can't go to the gym now is turning to cycling as the only, you know, they, they can't have a gym at home unless they're gazillionaires. Yeah. So cycling is becoming the, you know, the new, the new thing for people that want to stay fit. And I think that based on the lovely weather we've had over the last month as well, I think a lot of these guys that have turned to cycling are probably going to stick with it. Mm, the only thing I would say is safe enough. The only thing I would say is when they go to Holford's or whichever bicycle outlet they go to, I do wish they'd specify rear view mirrors on them because most of them <laughs> suddenly lose all concept that there are still cars <laughs> off the road. <laughs> yes, yeah, I agree. Anyway, Harry Pearl, thank you very much for joining me. I mean, that's been fascinating. I mean, you don't really tend to think about this. You just see a hole, wish the council would repair it, and when they do, you look at it and think, and I wonder how long that'll last. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But no, that's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. That's been absolutely fascinating. And as I well, said, thank you for having me. Anybody who wants to look more into this, it's all the W's. Road, roadmenderashfault.com. I'll read it out before the show comes to end. But seriously, go and have a look at this stuff. This stuff is absolutely fascinating, along with the infrared repairs. When I looked at the website, I thought, what's these things? I've got to ask. <laughs> but no, Harry, thank you very much indeed for joining me here on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thank you very much indeed for having me. beaten on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk 